that talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to the big Wednesday Buckeye Talk. Doug Lemery, Nathan Barrett, Stephen Means. Time to unveil the winners of our preseason Cleveland.com Big Ten survey. 34 writers, media members from around the Big Ten participated this year as tracked down by Nathan Baird. I am a jerk about this, but we deserve to be jerks about this. Again, as I mentioned before, one time somebody from the Big Ten mentioned it to me that every time I bring up this poll, I say how the Big Ten is a bunch of chickens and they're scared of hurting people's feelings and they abandoned doing their own survey 11 years ago now. Um, This is the 11th year of the Cleveland.com poll. But they are a bunch of freaking chickens. And if it wasn't for this, nobody would know who's supposed to win the Big Ten. So this is like the best, one of the best things we do. I'm always going to claim credit for it on behalf of Cleveland.com. And this is the freaking deal. So thanks to everybody who votes. But this is our thing. And you as a loyal Buckeye Talk listener, man, like you got in with the right crew because we do this. So we are going to reveal who was who is the Big Ten favorite. Who are the teams picked to win the East and the West? We have our rankings, the preseason offensive player of the year, the preseason defensive player of the year. And then we did an additional thing this year with who are the best coaches in the Big Ten? That's not preseason coach of the year or anything. It what That's not really a vote. It's more just like, a, hey, we're curious how people think of these guys. Um, so we added that in. And uh, Nathan, you know, I remember um, when you were, a voter in this, some guy in a list that I was sending stuff out to. I mean, this is this is great that we do this. I'm I like it. I want us to take a little victory lap here because you spent a bunch of time. You basically were in Hawaii. You got remarried, not remarried, married again. Was, oh, did you hear anything? Wedding one, wedding one point two is how I yeah. described it. And then you came back and started adding up votes. Like this takes some work, but somebody's got to do it, and we're happy to be the ones to do it. It, it definitely feels like the unofficial start to the preseason, at least for me, like the day that I have to sit down and tabulate everything. And, but I also come out of it. I feel like with information, I come out of it with a new perspective on how the big 10, how, how, how the collectively, how the big 10 media looks at the conference and uh, maybe makes me reevaluate some things and, and look at things from a, a new perspective. It also sometimes makes me, question why some people cover the big 10 so <laughs> and i'm sure they think the same thing about me sometimes so uh we'll see how this goes steven um yeah, listen i'm not expecting a bunch of individual team writers in the big 10 and that's not just that phil Steele's one of the voters in in our survey there's some other people in there but listen when you cover your team you're an expert on your team and i'm not expecting people to be experts on the other 13 teams so a lot of this is perception but that's all this preseason stuff is. They're not, you know, you're sending something to an Iowa writer and they did not break down film to decide, you know, whether Maryland or Rutgers is going to finish fifth or sixth in the East, right? I know that. It's just perception. But it's interesting to get a, a read on what the perception is. And usually the perception, not usually, the, the perception of the Big Ten centers around Ohio State every year. So, I'm assuming, I mean, of course, Ohio State's going to be picked to win. Are they unanimous? How, what was their support? Who are the challengers? It's only perception, Stephen, but I think perception is useful at this time of year. Perception is basically 
It, it, what we're really asking is, who do you think Ohio State is going to win the Big Ten again? Yes, uh, yes or no? And if so, who are they going to face? Is it going to be a new opponent, or is it going to be Wisconsin or Northwestern, as it's been for the past couple of years here? And then after that, how does everybody else fall in line on any given year? Do you think Penn State's going to get back to being the Penn State we all know and love, or does Indiana really have a shot here to claim its spot as the second best team in the Big Ten East? So, I think perhaps the most interesting discussion for us is going to be who won preseason Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year? Was it Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson? And what's the vote on that? So we'll get to that. I would start with that, except like if you're listening to this podcast for information, that's not the most important thing. You want to know what the vote was for the Big Ten champ. So we will start with that, but know that's coming. Offensive Player of the Year, who is it? And then Defensive Player of the Year, the same thing. And then we'll get into that vote on who the best coach in the Big Ten is. Nathan, is it okay with you if we guess a little bit on how the vote went down with some of these? Sure. All right. Let's start in the West. Let's start in the West. And people are asked to, you know, rank the West one through seven, pick a division winner. I'm guessing that Wisconsin won. Don't reveal the vote totals yet, but I'm guessing that Wisconsin won the vote. Stephen, who do you think won the vote in the West? Yeah, I'm going to guess Wisconsin as well. Okay. So it's 34 votes. Nathan, is that correct? Correct. Okay. I'm going to guess that Wisconsin got. 25 of the 34 first place votes. And I'm going to guess that Iowa got eight and somebody else got one. That is my guess at a breakdown. Steven, you want to guess at the breakdown or am I the only one that cares about the numbers that much? (laughs) I would say I'm not going to go a complete breakdown, but I will say probably Wisconsin got about 85 to 90% of them, maybe in an Iowa and Northwestern split the other ones. All right, so Nathan, who's who's first in the West? Yeah, so you guys aren't too far off. I mean, Wisconsin is the preseason favorite in the West, a total of 233 points ahead of Iowa, 202 points. So not really that all that close. Wisconsin had 29 first-place votes, and Iowa had the other five. No other first-place votes. It's only those two programs that had first-place votes this year, unlike last year where Doug – went out on a limb and correctly predicted Northwestern to win the West. Uh, No dark horse candidates getting any support beyond finishing. um, There might've been some seconds in there for Minnesota and Northwestern, but nothing higher than that for them. All right. So Wisconsin clearly first, Iowa clearly second is Northwestern third. Northwestern's third, a little bit more, a little bit closer there. Um, Third place, 160 points, Minnesota, 146 points for fourth. So, a little bit closer there, but still you're seeing some tiers emerge. And then is Nebraska fifth or is Purdue fifth? Nebraska fifth by actually a, a decent margin over Purdue, almost 20 points, 91 and a half points to 72 and a half points. So this is no surprise. Wisconsin, Iowa, Northwestern, Minnesota, Nebraska, Purdue, Illinois. Nathan, I guess if you would have had to bet your life on what the order was going to be in the West, I think this is what you would have picked, right? Yeah, I, I did wonder if there were people who would look at Northwestern and even though they've got a, you know, Helinski has a, you know, uh, is thought of as probably being a pretty talented quarterback. They don't know who the quarterback's going to be. They lost some important people on defense. Would they have put Minnesota above them because they, the certainty you have there with Morgan and, and Ibrahim and the, the offensive line, but they've got some defensive questions too. So yeah, this makes sense to me. I, I would have thought though, maybe that, the Nebraska-Purdue margin would be a little bit smaller just because of the kind of top-end talent that Purdue has, even though the rest of their roster maybe doesn't impress you that much. 
but people might have been looking at just how tough Purdue's schedule is as we did when we did our own breakdown. Steven, anything that surprises you here about that order of finish in the West? No, not really. Okay. So, I mean, this, this could be one of those. I mean, like, you know, the Iowa papers, the Iowa websites were right. Yeah. Hawkeyes picked to finish second in the Big Ten West. I think, you know, again, I said 25-8-1 for the first place votes. It goes 29-5. and five. I, I really think – I always think about this in voting. Maybe this is how everybody thinks of it. A lot of times in voting, people think a vote is going to be close. I think this happens, like, with MVPs and Cy Young Awards in baseball a lot. And there might be, like, two guys who are up for something. And people think, oh, this is going to be close. And then the actual vote is not close. But I think like every person who voted in their own mind, it was close. But everybody in the end thought like, well, it's like 60-40. And like everybody agreed. And it looks overwhelming, Nathan. Like it's 29 to 5. Wisconsin, overwhelming favorite to win the West. But I bet almost everybody that voted came down to Iowa and Wisconsin and thought about it. And then almost everybody leaned right. the same way because it's clear which way the lean should be. But I don't think this means that Wisconsin has a whatever percent that is 29 out of 34 chance to win the West. I actually think it probably is more like 60, 40, but I understand why the vote's not 60, 40. Do you know what I'm saying? And do you agree? Yeah, definitely. I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, Wisconsin was first or second on every ballot. And Iowa was first or second on most ballots. They were a team that was dropping down to third on a couple. And then somebody even voted them as low as fifth. So I think there's some of that is just the, the carryover perception that every year there's certainty that either Wisconsin's going to win the West or someone's going to beat Wisconsin to win the West, but they're not going to fall any farther than that. Whereas with Iowa reputationally, I think there's just a little bit more variance built in. That's 85% of the vote for Wisconsin. I do not think, Wisconsin has an 85% chance to win the West. If the odds on Wisconsin to win the West were like they're an 85% favorite, I would not bet on them. I would bet on Iowa. Um, but I understand why the vote went this way. All right. That's our West order finish. It's the official Cleveland.com preseason poll. Wisconsin 1, Iowa 2, Northwestern 3, Minnesota 4, Nebraska 5, Purdue 6, Illinois 7. Quick break. We'll come back with the results of the East voting next on Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. Guess what? Texters got a little heads up on this. We said, hey, yo, Texters, here's the vote. Don't tell anybody because we're releasing it to the world on Wednesday. But like they got a heads up on Tuesday um, ahead of other people because like this is our thing. This is our vote. We can do with this information what we choose. We're not going to release it publicly. And like, you know, we want the other sites who participate to get a chance to get their stories up as well. But like if you're paying for it, like you get a little, you know, you get some heads up from us on stuff. So like four bucks a month, I don't know. This would be a time to start trying it. 614-350-3315. Again, the Mount Rushmore voting is continuing for the tech subscribers. Some other stuff going on there. That's fun. We encourage you to give that a shot. Let's get to the East. 34 votes. I've got to imagine Ohio State got every single one, Nathan. I will be shocked if Ohio State is not the unanimous pick in the East. Steven, you agree? Yeah, I agree. Well, I don't. I don't. Want, I wouldn't say I would be shocked. I mean, I would be. Sh- I wouldn't be shocked if some random person voted for Indiana just because they were caught up in the moment. But yes, I think Ohio State should dominate this voting. <clears throat> Excuse me, this voting. All right, Nathan, is Ohio State unanimous? Absolutely, all two hundred thirty-eight, or well, the maximum two hundred thirty-eight points with with thirty-four first place votes. 
And is that what you were expecting? It's like one of these things we start tabulating. You kind of keep waiting for the outlier, right? Like, ah, is there somebody who saw that game? The game's in Bloomington. You look at Indiana's defense. They've got some guys who pop. Ty Freifogel, if Michael Penix is actually the best quarterback in the conference. Tom Allen seems like a good coach. Were you waiting for the Indiana vote, Nathan? No, I thought actually if the vote came from somewhere else, I, I wasn't, I didn't really think it would be Indiana. I thought, you know, last year, Penn State, I think, got one first place vote, um, or maybe this was two years ago. I'm, I'm trying to remember. No, it wouldn't have been two years ago because I didn't do it two years ago. So, yeah, last year, I think Penn State got one first place vote uh, over Ohio State. Um, and I thought maybe that's correct. Would, it was last year they got one, yeah, one out of 34. And, and someone thought that they would, you know, this their resurgence would put them back up there because, again, I think that last year was just such a messed up year with COVID and, and everything that went on, and especially everything that went on at Penn State. It's going to be interesting how how they bounce back, but they were the team that I wondered if someone would take a flyer on and say that they'll be able to come back and slip ahead of Ohio state. This year would have made more sense for Ohio state to not be unanimous just because it's a new quarterback, you know, and you can, that's always a good reason for why you might take a flyer on oh, yeah, Penn state, Indiana, these teams who do have returning quarterbacks until you know what it is. Uh, CJ Stroud or Kyle McCord is going to be like the same thing with 2019 and nine and three Doug. He just, until you knew what Justin was, you couldn't, just be like, okay, they should be unanimous. Last year, they probably should have been unanimous because we all know Justin Fields was at worst the second best quarterback in the country. Right. Last year, that person who picked Penn State picked Sean Clifford over Justin Fields. Right. And by the way, we did that vote last year at a time when we didn't know if there was going to be a season. But it was like, well, we're going to vote. We're not going to worry about opt-outs, right? We're going to do this now. We're just going to go by sort of with regular rosters, who do you think the best team is? I think we did that like before Journey Brown was his mm-hmm. career ended last year. We did it before Micah Parsons opted out, right? Right. Yeah, yes, exactly. So, yeah, we had, you know, preseason players of the year who didn't end up playing. Right. So, and I'm glad we did it that way. I think that was the right way to do it. It's like, listen, we know it's a jacked up season, but sort of like for posterity, we're going to do the best we can and try to take this snapshot of what people thought of a Big Ten season if it had been normal. And then it wasn't normal, but at least we had our votes in. So, again, last year, Penn State won vote. And to your point, Stephen, in 2019, when Ohio State had a new coach and a new quarterback, they were not picked to win the Big Ten in this poll. That year, Michigan got 17 picks to win it. Ohio State got 14, Nebraska got two, and Northwestern got one. So at a time of nine and three, Doug, there were 16 other people along with me in that poll who picked Ohio state not to win the big 10. So, and that was leaning on newness and here we are new quarterback, but Ryan days established the rest of the offense established. Everybody listening to this knows why Ohio state is the overwhelming favorite. So now I'm curious. I'll say Indiana second, Steven, who do you think is second? I'll say Penn state. I think people are going to give them some benefit of the doubt with last year and Indiana's third. All right. What is it, Nathan? Steven's correct. Penn State, 192 points. They had 23 second place votes, which is more second and third, which is more of those votes than Indiana had second and third place votes combined. So 192 points for Penn State, 169 points for Indiana. Um, they were actually closer. Well, that's not true, but but that's that's that that was the breakdown there. So not, again, not. Not that close of a margin. I think you're probably right uh, talking sort of like we did about Wisconsin and Iowa, that people probably that was a, a big juncture for people, right, that they were considering who's second, Penn State or Indiana. Um, but pretty overwhelmingly, people picked in, uh, Penn State. 
Some of it probably has to do with the fact of what do you believe is more likely to happen again? Penn State falling off a cliff like it did last year or Indiana exploding and being as good as it was last year. And if you're going to go with history, you're probably going to lean more Penn State and just say both of those situations last year were one-offs, were Indiana positive and for Penn State a negative. I'm a little surprised by that. And I, and I picked Indiana fourth, but I thought more people might believe in Indiana. And I, I really would have thought there was maybe a better chance of like Indiana grabbing a first place vote or two and finishing second than them finishing third in this. This is, I mean, like, I felt like last year, a lot of people kind of had Indiana as a potential dark horse, I think. I think, you know, there was a lot of kind of buzz about them. And it was right. They were right. A lot of times when, what has happened over the years, and we'll talk about the history of the poll in a minute, what has happened a lot over the years is people coalesce around the same dark horse. Nebraska was one of those one year. And then it's like, everybody's wrong together. And mm-hmm. so last year, everybody coalesced around Indiana and everybody was right together. So um, that's also one of these things that this poll can help us show. I wonder, I don't know if they'll turn out to be a, a dark horse that people are coalescing around this year because we got Ohio State first, Penn State second, Indiana third. I'm assuming Michigan's fourth. How close is Michigan to Indiana? Um, just, just real quick. And Penn State and Indiana did get all of the second place votes. So again, that kind of goes back to what you were saying about Wisconsin and Iowa. Like that was the choice people had. It just happened to be that more often than not, people leaned on Penn State. And then Michigan was fourth, 144 points. So they're 25 points behind Indiana. So again, we're seeing some 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 tiers develop there, I think, where there seems to be going into the season some, not absolute, but a little bit of crystallization between where people are, are, are sort of slotting teams this year. That maybe they don't fully believe in Indiana, but that they also believe that Michigan has drifted back a, a little bit, even behind the Hoosiers. And then Maryland to clear fifth? No, this was actually the most surprising part of the poll to me. Uh, Maryland is fifth with 79 points. Rutgers, 77 and a half points. So almost a tie for fifth place between Maryland and Rutgers. And Rutgers actually got a third place vote from someone. Um, So that was actually one of the more surprising things was maybe the lack of, of, confidence in in maryland i i think i would have thought that the michigan number would maybe be a little bit lower and the maryland number would be a little bit higher the rutgers number in itself maybe doesn't surprise me because it's mostly fifth uh, sixth and seventh place numbers but that's a lot of what maryland got too i mean it's a lot they're only let's see they have one fourth place two fourth place and no third place so there are a lot of fifth sixth and seventh votes for maryland as well yeah, I think that could be the wrong dark horse. That could be the one where there's some people who are like, oh, Rutgers, I think they might be coming. It's like you look at Rutgers schedule again, their crossovers. They have both Northwestern and Wisconsin's crossovers. Then they have Illinois, which obviously is a winnable game. But like they're at Michigan, at Indiana, at Penn State. Those are three like really tough road games. And they have Ohio State, too. So it's like where like they could be more competitive. And if you believe in Greg Schiano, I think people might be if you voted Rutgers third, I think you're jumping the gun on believing in Greg Schiano. Like they're doing some stuff in recruiting right now. They certainly are a more competent football team. I don't know that the talent is there for them to actually show it on the field this year. And I don't think the schedule is there either. So, all right. So Michigan state's last, what was their point total? How clearly last are they? 52 and a half points. So pretty clearly last, I will say, I'm trying to remember now. I don't believe any Michigan state players. And we had, I think 12, combined, let's see, like 26, 27 players between offense and defense that received some kind of vote in the player of the year voting. I don't think any of them came from Michigan State. What was Illinois' point total, by the way, in the West? Because, again, if you are – there's 34 ballots. If you're last on every single ballot, 
you have 34 points. So how many more points than 34 did Illinois get? 47. They did get one, two, three fifth place votes and the rest were sixth and mostly seventh for them. Okay. That's pretty good. I mean, like if you told me that Illinois had like 38 points, I wouldn't have been shocked that like basically everybody picked them last and a couple people picked them sixth. So Michigan state and Illinois at least got some support. They're decently above 34. Looks like six fifth place votes from Michigan state, but that's as far as anybody's going with uh, the Spartans this year. And I think we know why. One more thing about the Maryland Michigan thing. How many people put Michigan put Maryland over Michigan in their ballot? I don't know if you'd be able to. Uh, that's a good question. I can tabulate that real quick if you want to finish your okay. thought, and then I can tell you the I mean, answer. It, it is again. It's it's Michigan one forty four, and again, it's one of those things like, you know, if if everybody gets if Ohio State got every first place vote, if Penn State got every second place vote, they'd be thirty four right. points behind Ohio State. Ohio State, Penn State, Indiana, Michigan—they're not quite exactly 34 points apart for each spot, but like they're kind of close, you know, they're like, they're 23 points apart between Penn state and Indiana. Then they're 25 points apart between Indiana and Michigan. It is pretty clear that the overwhelming ballot was Ohio state one, Penn state two, Indiana three, Michigan four. But what, what was the Maryland, Michigan breakdown? So it looks like four, four voters had Maryland over Michigan. Um, There were six voters who had Maryland seventh. So that definitely depressed their score a little bit and there, there were a lot of votes again kind of going back to what doug said before a lot of votes that had michigan fourth maryland fifth so that just adds up over the course of 34 polls but it doesn't explain why there's a like a 70 point differential between the two schools so again that's where that's what i was maybe surprised by the most was that what, what steven is now i think astutely alluding to that there weren't very many people that put Maryland ahead of Michigan, even by one place. And then how many people put Maryland last? But again, that could be looking deeper into the schedule as opposed to just whether you think um, Tagovailoa is going to make an impact and that, that their talent's going to be better. Yeah, Maryland. Yeah, that was my whole point. They seem to be all over the map. Of, of any team in the Big Ten East, they're a little bit more all over the map than anybody else. Obviously, all disclosure, I'm one of those people who put Maryland over Michigan in my own ballot, but they just seem to be – they almost were – it sounds like from how you were tabulating this, yet for the most part they were fifth, but there were also some extremes. Maybe they were sixth and seventh that pulled them down and allowed Michigan to just claim that fourth spot outright. All right. Ohio State, Penn State, Indiana, Michigan, Maryland, Rutgers, Michigan State. In the end, the overall voting here, Nathan, no surprises. It one through seven on either side. No. Again, the, the only surprising thing was I thought that the Maryland uh, Rutgers – Michigan scores were maybe not a little bit different, but, but the order didn't surprise me. So then we have everybody picking Ohio state to make the big 10 championship game. 29 people picking Wisconsin five picking Iowa. Did anybody pick anyone other than, did anybody pick Wisconsin or Iowa to to actually win the big 10? No. 29 and 0 against Wisconsin five and 0 against Iowa. Okay. So that is a unanimous – I almost makes me look. I have to look. We'll put it in the post. I'll have to look. Ohio State – there was a time, looking in the history of the poll, when I like to joke about how we were always wrong. But we were always wrong sort of like based on Ohio State. But this is now um, – let's see. Ohio State has now been – one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Ohio State has been chosen by this poll to win the Big Ten – Six of the last seven years now. The only time they weren't picked was in 2019 when Michigan edged them out 17 votes to 14. 
So we are now, so three of the previous four years, we got it right because we picked Ohio State and Ohio State's won four straight Big Ten championships. So Ohio State, again, the pick last year, Ohio State, and they won it. 19, we picked Michigan. Ohio State won it. 18 and 17, both were Ohio State. We were right. In 16, we picked Ohio State, but Penn State won the Big Ten, even though Ohio State made the playoff. In 15, we picked Ohio State, but they lost to Michigan State. Michigan State won it. In 2014, we re-voted after the Braxton Miller injury. We picked Michigan State, and then Ohio State won it. And in 2013, we picked Ohio State, and Michigan State won it. So it was like, for a while there, the poll was off on, like, when is Ohio State not going to win it, and when is Ohio State going to win it? And you get, you know, between, again, the thing about it's weird. 2013 to 16, three out of four years, Ohio State was not the Big Ten champ. That is like almost, that's like the heart of the Urban Meyer era. They did not win the conference three out of four years. And we were, the three years they didn't win it, we picked them. The year we did pick them, they won it. So it made the poll look bad. But actually, that's just like Ohio State, like losing games. People didn't think they were going to lose. And now we have settled into, you pick Ohio State and Ohio State wins. And so, I mean, actually, Nathan, I started out the podcast by making beat in our chest of like, if not for us, like we are saving history. It's like, what? Oh, oh, oh. Oh, Ohio State's the favorite to win the Big Ten. Thanks, Cleveland.com. Thanks for making Nathan Baird add stuff for hours on end to come to this obvious conclusion. But I think, again, as you say often, we do this for posterity. And now think about what you just said. There was a time in the Big Ten when Ohio State was a national championship caliber program and didn't win the Big Ten every year. They would get to the playoff and didn't win the Big Ten. I mean, there was a time when Ohio State did not, like, just stand – with with this level of dominance over the conference and i think because of this poll it gives us it, it helps us have this conversation where it reminds us um that the re- the level of the rest of the big 10 has probably dropped a little bit over over this period and the level of Ohio state has risen that's more the problem ohio state's risen more than i think the rest of the big 10 has dropped but, off i think the big 10 might just be doing what the big 10 does while ohio state's out here getting perfect getting quarterbacks who have perfect rating perfect ratings right but again ohio state was the national champion in 2014 ohio state made the playoff in 2016 i mean it wasn't like they weren't a national um contender back then too uh but it seems like yes i think ohio state has risen a little bit but i would i would argue that 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 team that should be stepping up to challenge them has is where the absence is that that and that's maybe the bigger um gap right now in the big 10 no, I, I think that's fair. You know, like, like for instance, in 2016, when Ohio State makes the playoff but doesn't win the Big Ten, like 2016 Penn State is like a really good team, right? Like Saquon Barkley runs for 1,500 yards. Like Trace McSorley is like a really good Big Ten quarterback. They have Chris Godwin and Mike Gusecki, who are both like legit NFL guys catching the ball. That That's like a team like, I don't know that I see a 2016 Penn State in the Big Ten this year, right? And like that 2016 Penn State, they were legitimately, and I know they lost the Rose Bowl to USC, but that was a great game. Like they're legitimately like one of the five best teams in the country. They should have made the playoff. And they, yes, they beat Ohio State at home on a blocked field goal, but like they were, they turned out to be a, a, a quite a talented team. And so I do think both are happening. I do think that again, Ohio State is extending its lead in recruiting and the talent on the field and, and the rest of the league 
isn't static. They took a step back. Now, could they rise up again? Sure, they could. And maybe this is the year, you know, right? I mean, Wisconsin has some defensive dues. If Graham Mertz is a guy, right? I mean, I, I don't know. Like, if this is the year that Michigan shows something, somebody might be coming. But I still think, I think the gap has widened in both directions in the last five years. I, I do think, though, it tells me something that a year where Ohio State, um, and we'll get into the player voting here in a little bit, but the number of players that they have who were mentioned as one of the top three players in the conference, this might be kind of an all-time low for Ohio State on that. It certainly seems lower than last year. We'd have to look at last year's numbers. But, you know, they don't have a super strong defensive player of the year preseason candidate. Um, they obviously do on offense, but th- there's some wrinkles there because they don't know exactly who the quarterback's going to be for sure. Um, it's just – the, the the level of like absolute talent that we know about for Ohio State, especially on the defensive side of the ball, is not as great as it usually is. And yet they are still the unanimous pick to win the East and the unanimous pick to win the whole thing. I mean, there I mean, when you look at recent history, I mean, Ohio State's had times when like Joey Bosa was an All-American and was coming back. Ezekiel Elliott was awesome and was coming back. Yeah. Braxton Miller was awesome and was coming back. Chase Young was awesome and was coming back. Justin Field was awesome and was coming back. And each time with those guys, it's like, well, who's the preseason player of the year on their side of the ball? It's like, well, who do you think? Like, it's them, you ding-dongs. I mean, there's not even anybody else you could vote for. And the fact that they don't have a defensive player, specifically an edge rusher, with the, the Chase Young pedigree yet, you know, Zach Harrison, I'm going to imagine, is not the preseason defensive player of the year. He might be the postseason defensive player of the year, but he's not yet. And that they don't have the quarterback returning. I mean, again, if that's that's just whenever Ohio State is changing quarterbacks, it's the window for someone else to be the preseason offensive player of the year. Now, the window just this year is, hap- is going to happen to be filled by one of the Ohio State receivers instead. And let's just get to that. I, I don't want to string people along. We've done the thing that's most important. Ohio State is the unanimous preseason pick to win the Big Ten. So let's get into offensive player of the year. To me, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are the obvious top candidates. Yes, Michael Penix is a candidate. Yes, David Bell's a candidate. Let's do our guesses, Stephen. We have 34 votes. And actually, to be fair, we know that Chris Olave won. I'm not going to I'm not going to lie to listeners. Mm-hmm. Nathan had sent that along to the texters. So we know Olave won. That's what I would have guessed. My guess is that Chris Olave got 21 of the 34 votes. Garrett Wilson got eight. And the other five went to some mix of Penix and Bell. What is your guess, Stephen? I know that's not right. Um I would say Chris and Garrett split. I think I, I I think Chris probably twenty. I give Garrett five. So what I have, I've got twenty five left, and then like the other nine are a split of. I think Bell, um, Penix, maybe Mertz. You throw in there, and then an Ohio, the Ohio State quarterback. So I like that Steven comes out hot and is like, I know that's not right. And then I said, Chris Olave got 21 first place votes. And then Steven said he got 20. So <laughs> way to diverge from Doug's opinion. It's, it's less. Okay. It's less about how much Chris Olave got and more about what the breakdown of the other, you know, 15 or 14 votes are. All right. What's the actual reveal here, Nathan? You guys are, are really wrong. And I, the offensive player of the year voting was fascinating to me. Uh, Chris Olave did win. I'm going to give you guys some other numbers here, though. There are 12 players received at least one vote. Okay. All 12 players received 
a first place vote. Wow. 12. So just that alone is staggering to me. Like, so that's I was be- really wrong, but Stephen was also really wrong. I said you're both really wrong. I said you're both really wrong. Yeah, 12 players received at least one first place vote. I almost wanted so so yeah, Chris Olave first place. He did receive 11 first place votes, a total of 58 points. Okay. So what do you want to hear next? Just just list everybody in order and then we'll analyze it. Is this going to be too crazy to guess if it's this wild? It it is pretty wild. So Chris Olave first, 11 first place votes, 58 points. Indiana quarterback Michael Penix second with eight first place votes, 44.5 points. Okay. Minnesota running back Muhammad Ibrahim is third, four first place votes, 36 points. Okay. Then a bit of a drop. Things get things even out from here with everyone else a little bit. Iowa center Tyler Linderbaum fourth received one first place vote and 13 total points. The okay. only offensive lineman in the poll. This is where Garrett Wilson comes in. Fifth, one first place vote, 12 points. Okay. Purdue receiver David Bell is sixth, two first place votes, 10 points. Okay. Three-way tie for seventh. Man, this is fun. Uh, Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud, presumptive Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud, two first place votes, six points. uh, Penn State receiver Jahan Dotson and Wisconsin quarterback Graham Mertz, each one first place vote and six points. They were all tied for seventh. Iowa running back Tyler Goodson, 10th, one first-place vote, five points. Indiana receiver Ty Freifogel, 11th, one first-place vote, four points. Minnesota quarterback Tanner Morgan, I even went back and double-checked this, 12th, one first-place vote, three and a half points. Wow, okay, so I do think this happens, and let me double-check this. I think sometimes writers in the West get sick of voting for people in the East. And that's okay. I mean, you see the guys in the West every single year. You don't see the guys in the East every single year. That's why we have a mix of people here, right? So the West first place votes, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. There were 10 votes out of the 34 for players in the West. Four for Ibrahim, one for uh, Linderbaum, two for Bell, one for Mertz, one for Goodson, and one for Morgan. And if you cover... Uh, Minnesota or Iowa or Nebraska or Wisconsin or Illinois. And you're just like sick of voting for Ohio state guys. And it's like, I, I know whatever the crystal Olave is going to be a first round pick, but you think that Olave and Wilson are going to split it. I understand that. I'm a little surprised. David bell did not get more support. Like if you're not going to vote for Chris Olave first, I think you either go Penix or bell. I'm a little surprised that Ibrahim was that high and that Linderbaum finished ahead of David Bell, that David Bell only got two first place, first place votes and his sixth year surprises me a little bit, Nathan. So there's a lot of things about these results that I thought were a little bit contradictory. And that's one of them that you're talking about how, you know, maybe people would have leaned West. And I want to say real quick, I sent this out to 40 some um, potential uh, voters and I, I spent a while like trying to find even new people this year. We got 34 responses. Um, I don't know what the breakdown was between West and East. There were also some national guys mixed in with this. So I, I don't, we didn't balance it based on where they were in the conference. We did try to get multiple people from every, and usually no more than three from every school that got a, uh, or every team that got a, an invite to vote. 
but not everybody did. And there may have been some imbalance between the, the, the divisions. But like you're saying, if people are leaning West, then, you know, why not more support for David Bell? And um, maybe that's only because, again, they're only voting for three. They're voting for a third, a second, and a first. So if you if Chris Olave and Michael Penix and Mohamed Ibrahim take two out of three spots on most ballots, that doesn't, I guess, leave a lot of room for whoever that third person's going to be. I think some of this is just might be how you use preseason ballots. Are you a guy who's just giving it to the person in the preseason, or are you trying to project the season? And if you're trying to project the season, I'm not shocked that Chris Olave didn't win by more. And I'm also not shocked that David Bell didn't get more votes and because they are wide receivers and a little bit more dependent. And a wide receiver hasn't run Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year since Braylon Edwards in, in 2004. Since then, it's just been a run of quarterbacks and running backs. And so I think that's where you get a lot of this you know, variety where even – I was a little shocked there was more than one vote for C.J. Stroud uh, as to win this award. But I think that's where you see a lot more variety with some of these quarterbacks and some of these running backs getting an opportunity because they're a little less dependent on somebody else to get their stats. I'm a little surprised that Indiana wasn't closer to finishing second in the East – while Michael Penix got eight first place votes for offensive preseason offensive player of the year. Cause it's like, if you think Michael Penix is going to be the best offensive player in the conference, then what do you think that means for Indiana? Cause their defense is pretty good. So I would think if you voted for Michael Penix, I would think you should have Indiana second in the East. And I don't think that probably matches up based on the way the voting went, that they are a clear third place vote. And then, you know, the rest of it, I mean, I, I know what you're saying, Steven, so Penix has to be the quarterback who gets votes here. There's not an obvious, I mean, there's not a running back. Ibrahim is not going to be the postseason offensive yeah. player of the year. He's the guy you should vote for now. I, I Obviously he was first team, all big 10 running back last year. I guess Tyler Goodson, maybe, I don't know if you think Iowa's going to win the West, but like even Wisconsin doesn't have an obvious great running back. Like they often do. Right. So it does just so happen that like the best risk players in the big 10 at the moment are receivers. It's Olave and Wilson and Jahan Dotson and David Bell and Ty Freifogel are like probably five of the, if you were doing like sure thing, offensive players, it's like, you'd probably do Penix, Ibrahim, Linderbaum and those five receivers. Right. And so like, it's a, it's a receiver heavy league at the moment with what we know in part because of the quarterback uncertainty in the league, which is normal. And in part because of the running back uncertainty, which is kind of abnormal. Yeah, yeah the, the receiver trend has been happening for a couple of years, though. I mean, go back to the Minnesota guys the last couple of years. Um, uh, the, the guys, you know, you throw Rondell Moore in there, throw Indiana had guys who just left. I mean, that, that receiver trend has been happening a little bit. I think what's more awkward about this year's vote is kind of what you're saying about the running backs. That Usually in the Big Ten, there's more certainty at running back at this point. And there just isn't this year. Ibrahim kind of really stands out there as like the one known commodity. And then Goodson is the one that got a little bit. But those are only two running backs out of 12 guys who got votes for preseason offensive player of the year in the Big Ten. That might be unprecedented, too. And it's just hard. We sort of talked about, I think, how we vote on this stuff. It's like, I get it. Like C.J. Stroud. Like, I get it. He's the Ohio State quarterback. But like, he's never thrown a pass in college football. And so, like, I just... I mean, if you're just predicting and you're thinking like you want to be right at the end of the year, I get it. It's just hard to vote for a guy who's like never played before. So, Steven, as a, a first place voter for CJ Stroud, would you like, care to share a rebuttal? <laughs> oh, yeah, I like that's... how Steven, were, were you not going to reveal that yourself? No, I, I kind of did when I said I was shocked he got two votes because I thought I was going to be on that island all by myself. 
I think we have gone, and I, we've all kind of said this in different ways. I think we've gone too far left with the with the questionable Ohio State quarterback because they've never thrown a pass. And okay, if they'd have thrown five passes last year, would you be more comfortable with what their experience is right now? Probably mm-hmm. not. You'd still be the same way. Ohio State's quarterbacks have won it the past three years because. And Dwayne basically won it because he had a bunch of experienced receivers and two player callers who knew how to play, call plays for him. That's what happened. Justin Fields won it because he was awesome. But then also he in 2019, as a first year starter, he won it because he took advantage of every position that defense put him in. And then last year he was just awesome. CJ Stroud or Kyle McCord is basically going to, I'm saying CJ no, Stroud is going to be in a position that Dwayne Haskins was in 2018, where he's got a bunch of, Awesome wide receivers, an awesome offense, some questionable defense right now, but he might just have crazy numbers because of the pieces around him and the two play callers who are making things go, make him look a lot better than he actually should look as a first-year starter, the same way we've seen the last two times Ohio State's had a first-year starting quarterback. One thing I will say, uh, we I mentioned this, I think, on Tuesday's podcast, that there are two different ways to vote in this. You're yeah. either voting for who you think the three best offensive football players are in the Big Ten as of the day you're putting in your ballot, or you're trying to predict the finish of the postseason offensive player of the year. I tend to be more the former. I think Steven tends to be more the latter. And, and I, I assume yeah. you, you voted only for quarterbacks with all three of your votes. I so I assume that maybe what you were saying before about no wide receiver winning this award at the end of the year since 04 probably was a factor for you. Yeah, I did because when I was when I sat down to actually do my vote, I did have Garrett and Chris both in my top three, and they, and it was going to just be wide receivers. David Bell was in there, and then I started looking through, and it's like, man, and wide receivers don't win this awards often. I understand the wide receiver talent in the Big Ten has improved vastly over the past decade, but if with Garrett and Chris, it's like, do anything that's not a wide receiver specific award, I feel like it's hard to split them up because then you're adding another layers to it. I don't think like now big 10 wide receiver of the year, but let all that stuff. They're not going to hurt each other in that pursuit to get that award. But once you start throwing every player in the country into that, if they're playing well, that means that the quarterback is also probably playing well. While with David Bell, I just don't, know if the stats I just don't think the talent at Purdue is going to allow him to emerge over a quarterback who might have 3,500 passing yards and 35 to 40 touchdowns to win that award so did you go Stroud Penix Mertz what was your ballot then if you did all Stroud, Stroud I went Stroud Mertz and then Penix so you really leaned on you leaned on to, you're predicting you voted yeah. first and second Chris Olave could be like in the NFL right now starting and you picked like two quarterbacks, one of whom has never played and one who like barely played. So you're predicting in a big way. Okay. I did. I, uh, I did Olave Wilson bell. Um, And I'm surprised Garrett Wilson didn't get more support here. Obviously by what I predicted, Um, I thought Garrett Wilson really might finish second. And if not, I thought he finished third behind Penix that I thought those would be the top three vote getters. It feels like everybody who voted for an Ohio state receiver coalesced around Olave. And I do think that maybe that's what happens. What's happening is people think Chris Olave is like the better quote, better, more productive college receiver. And maybe Garrett Wilson's the better NFL prospect. And that's how that'll mm-hmm. play out. Chris Olave will be an all American. Maybe Chris Olave, Olave will win the Boletnikoff. Chris Olave might be the Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year, and Garrett Wilson will go higher in the draft. And maybe that'll be wrong because maybe Chris Olave will win everything and also go higher in the draft. But it does feel like what is happening a little bit, and I'm not sure why. I I don't know. I don't even know why I'm starting to think it. But like that's 
once I thought about it, I was like, well, it's, I, it's definitely, if I think it's a toss up between Olave and Wilson, actually, I don't, I think Olave is going to be the guy who wins this vote. But the idea that Chris Olave got 58 points and Garrett Wilson got 12 um, does surprise me a little bit. I think if Chris Olave had gone to the NFL, I think Garrett Wilson might have won this vote. Maybe, but it makes me uh, yeah. wonder if he's so still not considered. It, he feels like the less known quantity still around the league in some ways, and I don't think he should be. I think if you've done your research and you paid attention, you should know who Kara Wilson is. But, I mean, Olave was on 26 ballots. Wilson was on seven ballots. There were eight ballots that um, – I'm sorry, six ballots that didn't have either of them, and two ballots had Wilson but not Olave. Two third place votes for Wilson, where Olave was not, did not get a first or second place vote. So that I just tells me that there's still a big gap between how people recognize those two receivers for Ohio State. Uh, yeah, but I think if if Chris is not here, and basically for the past seven months we've been talking about, oh, it's Garrett Wilson time because it's him and a bunch of unexperienced wide receivers, so he's going to get a bunch of targets just because he might be the guy that the first-year starting quarterback is most comfortable with. If that's the conversation for the past eight months leading up to this, I think he might have ran away with this vote just because we'd probably be hyperbolic about it. He might have 100-plus catches while everybody else has no more than 20. Maybe, but Especially when third, he was still in the slot. Right, but the third-place guy here, Ibrahim, was – named on nearly three times as many ballots as Wilson. So that's what makes me think. I think Wilson would have probably been in the top three, but I think Penix would have won the award. But you think Penix would have, but like that's, you've got to have an Ohio state guy on your ballot, right? Like, like you're going to have, it's like a five-star receiver who's a junior. And like, you're going to be like, well, no, I'm going to vote Ibrahim Penix and Tyler Linderbaum. It's like insane. I'm going to vote David Bell, Graham Mertz and Ty Freifogel. It's like, what are you doing? Do you have eyeballs? there were six people who didn't have an Ohio state player on their ballot this year, even with Olave and Wilson. And I think that if without Olave, if there was someone who voted for Penix, Ibrahim and bell, I don't think that would be the right vote me personally, but it's defensible. You don't have to go far down to find that third person really. So I did want to have, I thought it was going to be a closer vote. So I wanted to have like a Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave conversation a little bit last season. So they played, so the Ohio State played eight games. Olave missed the Big Ten championship game against Northwestern, as we know. So they played seven games together. In the seven games they played together, you guys, do you guys know what the breakdown was of who had more yardage? So how many games did Olave have more yardage than Wilson? And how many games did Wilson have more yardage in those seven games? I think Chris won out just because I, I, it was Garrett for most of the season until basically the last two games. Chris kind of won out. Yeah, I thought we we did this when we did a different um, pod, right? right? That we had figured out that, that Olave had finished ahead. Yeah. So Olave was four games. Wilson was three. Three okay. of the first four games of the year, Wilson had more receiving yards. Mm-hmm. And then the last four games of the year, Olave had more in the three games he played. And then the game that Olave didn't play, Wilson didn't do much, as we remember. He was four for 49 when Northwestern decided we're going to shut down Garrett Wilson without Chris Olave on the field. But to start the season – Game one, it's, it's Wilson 129, Olave 104. Game two, it's Olave 120, Wilson 111. Game three, it's Wilson 104, Olave 64. And game four against Indiana, it's Wilson 169, Olave 101. So, like, Garrett Wilson was, like, quite a bit ahead of Chris Olave. And then the last three games, again, Garrett Wilson, his last four games of the year, 59 receiving yards, 49 receiving yards, 52 receiving yards against Clemson, 
50 receiving yards against Alabama. Like the Clemson game when Olave went nuts, Olave six for 136, Wilson's two for 52. So like Olave in the back half of the year, sort of like, you know, in the big games, was clearly more productive, wound up with overall better stats than Garrett Wilson. Like, I don't know. Like, it's just one of those things. Like, if the Big Ten is like, not the Big Ten, like if Big Ten media is like sleeping on Garrett Wilson, I would not have expected that like people are like, ah, that that five-star guy, like who, like, you know, had a helicopter catch as a freshman and like has been on the biggest, like, and is projected like by everybody to be a top 15 draft pick. It's like, I'm not going to vote for him. I'm going to vote for this nice Minnesota running back who seems like a swell fella. It's like, I don't know, man. Like, come on. Right. It's but- just, it, it, it is sometimes harder to stand out in a way at Ohio State, even though you have more exposure, you're playing deeper into the season, all of that stuff. You, I think sometimes the collective mindset is just that you're this entity, right? You're just this force of nature that's plowing through the Big Ten. <coughs> Excuse me. And it can be difficult to stand out, especially when you've got another standout player at your position. You had a standout quarterback last year. You had Trey Sermon doing what he did at the end of last year. I, I it So some of it, it doesn't necessarily surprise me that Garrett Wilson – finished farther back than we expected or that we would have voted, or at least that Doug and I voted uh, because we voted, I think maybe a little bit different way that, than Steven did, which is fine. But I, I, it does make me wonder if what you're talking about now, like this, that, that, you know, we saw this last year with Alabama and there were circumstances, right? Where the guy who everyone thought was the best receiver on that team because he got hurt was not the guy who ended up winning the Heisman trophy. Um, I don't think it would have to be an injury. I think Garrett Wilson, there are ways where just because he's still, on a different schedule a little bit and is ascending at a different, in a different way might be the one who could overtake Chris Olave and, and end up finishing higher in a vote like this at the end of the year. Their 2020 game logs are weird. It's just, it's with, I'm looking at Garrett's right now. It's basically a before Justin Fields threw that intercept first interception against Indiana. And then after Justin Fields threw that second, second, that first interception against Indiana, where I think Doug texted our texters, just like Stephen means Justin Fields got fell in love with Garrett Wilson a little too much because after that game, he didn't have another hundred yard game when the the first four games of the season, we're talking about, is this guy going to take over Chris Carter's record for most hundred yard games in a row while Chris Olave was a little bit more consistent. And if it weren't July, if it was April or something, and we had found some of this stuff out, it would make me want to go rewatch these games and figure out what the heck happened with Garrett Wilson, because he had seven, 11, six, seven. And then after that is three, four, two, three, while Chris Olave was consistently around the six, seven, eight, Mark with his catches per game. This information's been sitting there. You could have done it in yeah, April. I know, it's like, I know, oh, if only we knew. What do you mean if only yeah, we right. knew? It was yeah, sitting I, there for all the whole summer. The, the thing is, I, and I don't know this. I don't know it. And like PFF is good about this stuff. They break down routes and stuff. I'm a mad, like from the slot, you're running a little more stuff over the middle. And once you throw an interception, you're not as likely to throw it over the middle. Sometimes Chris Olave is like beating people down the field. And actually people yeah. get all fired up about throwing deep. A lot of times it's easier to throw deep than it's trying to like fit in a window and stuff. So yeah. there may be things that happened the way they played them. And again, the thing that happens to I me, mean, if you try to get, ask Ryan day about this, I mean, you know, it very well might be some combination of like Garrett Wilson was murdering defenses and defenses started to adjust to that. And it right. opened up Chris Olave and they took what was there and that there's actually a connection here. It's not random. It's like, well, we did this and then we leaned and, and Ryan day talks about that all the time. One thing leads to another. I do think, and I just, I did this as a, as a, Hey Buck, I talked the other day, you know, like Jamar, the idea of, are these guys going to take away from each other? Jamar chase and Justin Jefferson, 
in 2019, you know, Jamar Chase had 1,700 yards. Justin Jefferson had 1,500 yards. Jamar Chase won the Boletnikoff. You know, that you can still – there have been recent history of two great receivers. Guys, James Washington for Oklahoma State won it a couple years ago, like in 2017. He had a teammate who was also over 1,000 yards. So, you, you know, we have the example of Devontae Smith won the Heisman because Jalen Waddell got hurt. That I do believe. But he could have won the Boletnikoff, right? That I mean, like the Heisman's right. a different thing, but I do think Chris Olave, I think, has a pretty good chance to win the Boletnikoff. I'm just I'm Jerry Judy won the Boletnikoff in a room that had four first round draft picks in it. Yeah, so, he's yeah, still it's possible. They I think Waddle was their second leading receiver. Judy had like 1,300 and Waddle had yeah. like 900. You know, the, Judy had a significant gap, but they had real dudes there. So, yes, to your point, Steven, it, it definitely is possible. I'm a little I'm a little surprised. I'm just a little surprised. I'm, just, I'm slightly surprised if if somebody else, like if Garrett Wilson was the recruit he was and had the stats he had on another team, he'd be higher than fifth. But I guess that's part of it, Nathan, right? That it's all this, you know, I mean, if he, if Garrett Wilson. It's, it's the conundrum of it, though, because, I mean, then he would sort of be David Bell-ish. But and they is David similar- Bell the number 20 recruit in the country? No, yeah, that's, I no, mean, like, that's, that, that's the other thing, like we have to be realistic. And now all this makes it sound like an Ohio State homer. It's like Garrett Wilson is more talented than anybody who finished ahead of him in this voting. Mm-hmm. So like he's more naturally gifted as a player. It doesn't mean for sure he's a more productive or better football player. But like if we're going to pretend that like, all right, well, you play for this team because your team, that team only gets three star recruits and then you're the best of the three star recruits. That's great. I'm not taking away from you. But let's not pretend in a vote that like that guy's as good as Garrett Wilson because he's not. Yeah. And Dude, the NFL is going to prove it. Alabama's per- yeah, Alabama's a perfect example because it's like we had talked about Devonta Smith, but as soon as Jalen Waddle, it felt like he was going to play in that national championship game. All the attention kind of went back on Waddle. It's like, man, what kind of weapon he is! Like they don't take away from each other in the way that we, we they, that they are right now with Garrett and Chris. The other thing to remember here too. It, there are a lot of um, you know early NFL mock drafts that have um, Olave as like the first receiver off the board. So again, for people around the league who maybe don't know how to separate those two, but feel like they need to, feel like they can't vote for both of them, that's another way where they're going to lean towards Olave. No, no, I think that makes sense. Um, I'm not angry. I'm just, I mean, I, I sound angry. Uh, I just like. I think you're uh, just confused. I, I'm, I'm confused, and I and I like logical. Voting. I like logical voting. And um, it's a little odd to me that he didn't finish higher. But honestly, David Bell is also lower than I expected. So, you know, I get it. People like to vote for Iowa centers because it makes them feel like they know football. So that's fine. Um, and, and by the way, the most I voted him third, by the way. I mean, you're exactly the kind of guy I'm talking. But about. I voted for Lavey and Wilson both. So <laughs> the most shocking thing in this vote, Nathan, like it's not close. The thing that I could not believe. No Garrett Wilson vote from Stephen Means. No vote at all. No Garrett Wilson vote at all. Vote. That's what I mean. Okay. He did so, not in the top three from Stephen Means. I think I should be respected for my love of Garrett Wilson because I don't go homer level and just do it every single time there's a chance to bring up Gary Will- Garrett Wilson's name. And this is a prime example of that. I decided to predict and not just go with, and because of the route I went with my voting, it wouldn't have made sense for me to put Garrett Wilson on this list. And that's been the consistent. Like I, I pick Garrett Wilson when it makes sense for me to pick Garrett Wilson and not just because it's a time to pick Garrett Wilson. 
I think he did it as a favor to Garrett Wilson because he'll be he can be like, hey, look, nobody believes in you. Now go out and prove them wrong. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm ho- I'm hoping that Belitnikov people will give me an award there and then will give me a vote there and I can just vote for him in first place. I, I have a Belitnikov vote. I think I have a Belitnikov vote too. You can have mine. Um, <laughs> you can have mine. Garrett, you, already, yeah. Garrett, you got two <laughs> you votes already, buddy. <laughs> the, the, I'm looking at this NFL mock draft database.com. I, which, you know, again, people are doing mock drafts. It's fun. I mean, we're allowed to have fun with football. This database in, it says that like, they combine all the mock drafts that are out there. They have Chris Olave number nine in the 2022 NFL draft, and they have Garrett Wilson number 14 in the 2022 NFL draft. Yep. And I don't see – you know what I mean? Like, And then it's like a bunch of guys that – those things make a difference. So those 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 lists. That's how reporters around the the league, including us, use that sort of data to help them with their votes and things like this. No, I know, but like, where's Muhammad Ibrahim, who finished, who got thirty six points, and Garrett Wilson got twelve? That's part of fair my enough. Point. Fair enough. Yeah, and I'm not I'm not criticizing. I'm just like I, I'm wondering, and it it just is interesting. It is interesting. I wonder Garrett Wilson will probably be wearing a T-shirt that says this, like, uh uh, hey, haters picked fifth in the Cleveland.com preseason For offensive sure. player of the year poll. For sure. Yeah. Steven, Steven will ask him that question as soon as possible. This will be the thing Ryan Day can latch on to since they were the unanimous <laughs> champion in both the division and the overall. That's he's right. he's going to whisper the gear to heal and had the off- to take the field. Yeah. And had the offensive player of the year. <laughs> yeah. That's ridiculous. All right. We'll come back. Defensive player of the year and best coach next on Buckeye Talk. All right, Doug, Nathan, Stephen, Nathan, I'm going to guess that George Karloftis is a defensive player of the year, and he was a more overwhelming pick than Chris Olave was for offense. So if Olave got 11 first-place votes, I'm going to guess that George Karloftis got more than 11 first-place votes. Stephen, do you think George Karloftis won? I'm just going to make the same guess I made for Chris Olave. Hopefully this time it's right. I think he probably got 20, maybe even more than that, of the 34 first-place votes. Is Karloftis one, Nathan? He is not. George Karloftis is not a Taskel Garrett? It's not. Um, Aiden Hutchinson? Nope. Brandon Joseph? Northwestern safety Brandon Joseph received 11 okay. first-place votes and was named on 20 ballots, which was the most ballots of any defensive player, and he had 49 points and is the preseason defensive player of the year. Okay. Is Karloftis two? Karloftis was second. This is where it gets a little bit tighter. A, a, a really good competition for second place. Karloftis had eight first place votes, 33 points. He's second. Haskell Garrett, five first place votes, 30.5 points. He's third. Micah McFadden, Indiana linebacker, six first place votes, 28 points for fourth. So pretty tight there. Battle second, third, fourth. Wow. Are you surprised by that? I am not surprised that Joseph was in the top three. I voted him in the top three. I'm a little bit surprised that it was by that margin. I guess the one thing I will say is Karloftis, as much as we, he, as we were just talking about, it shows up high on draft boards, had a really strong freshman season, was a you know, freshman All-American, I, I think. Um, last year, injured, COVID. It was a little bit out of sight, out of mind, I think, for him. And I think that as we have seen in the past safeties typically don't win this award in the post yeah. you know, at the end of the year. So they I never think it's won this award, 
Right. The only time a defensive back has won it is in 1996 when Sean Springs from Ohio State did it. And he got right. it from the coaches while Pat Fitzgerald's got it from the media. So uh, that's a neat note. So, I mean, who end up, ends up winning this? Typically, edge rushers. Edge rushers and maybe defensive tackles and maybe linebackers. So I think at the end of the season, if Karloftis goes out and has the kind of season I think most people would expect from him and plays a full season, I, I think he's still the favorite to eventually win this. But I think what happened here was a vote where, I mean, he was only named on 15 first place votes out of 34. So over half of the league didn't vote for him at all. Over the half, I should say over half of our voters who, again, are, uh, you know, we try to get a wide um, sample of everybody in the conference, but I don't know what the balance was. Over half of the voters in our poll did not put George Karloftis on their ballot. Joseph was the only defensive player in the entire league who was named on more than half of the ballots. So Karloftis... Uh, Haskell Garrett, McFadden, and um, Olakunle Fatusakasi, the Rutgers linebacker. He was named on 10 ballots. He's, those are the only five players named on 10 or more ballots. Wow, this is really divided up. All right, let's just run down the whole list then. Joseph is one with 11 first place. Karloftis is two with eight first place. Garrett, three with five first place. McFadden, fourth with six first place. There's still four first place votes out there, but just what's the rest of the top 10 at least. So then next was Fatukasi, the Rutgers linebacker fifth with 18 points, three first place votes. Okay. Then Michigan defensive and Aiden Hutchinson with 11 points and a tie for seventh Indiana cornerback, Tywan Mullen got the other first place vote. Wisconsin linebacker, Jack Sanborn. Um, also they were seven points. Zach Harrison, uh, state defensive end, obviously ninth, three and a half points. And then there were eight other players named, um, do you want all of them or uh, seven banks was one of them. He was tied for 10th, three points. Um, trying to get just some of the highlights here. Yeah. Uh, Minnesota defensive end Boya Mafe, who was pretty high on our list of Ohio state's top 50 opponents and uh, Penn state safety, Jaquan Brisker, both mentioned in there. Um, I'm assuming Harrison Garrett and uh, banks are the only Ohio state players. Correct. Yes. Okay. Interesting. I voted uh Karloftis Mafe. Hutchinson was my ballot. I did not vote for Joseph, just like I didn't vote for Garrett because, like, it's almost like positional more than anything else. Uh, Nathan, who'd you vote for? I voted um, Karloftis, Hutchinson, Joseph. And Stephen, what'd you vote? Karloftis, Hutchinson, McFadden. Okay. I thought you were going to go Jack Sawyer predicting and just facing it based on guys who have never played football before. So, um, (laughs) but no, no votes for Tyreek Smith, no votes for, you know, I guess Josh Proctor would have been a surprise if he had gotten a vote, but just a year where Ohio state doesn't really have even the guys that we think could be first round NFL draft pick potential edge rushers from Ohio state, not getting really any support in a poll like this. This is going to blow like Northwestern people are going to blow this up. They're going to make a poster about this at Northwestern. Brandon Joseph, Big Ten preseason defensive player of the year. Pat Fitzgerald at the podium is going to be like, oh, I just saw, you know, Brandon Joseph named uh, oh, preseason Big Ten defensive player of the year. You know, we don't let awards like that get in our head, but it's nice to see <laughs> the Wildcats' excellence being recognized. So that's great for Brandon, but that's not what we're about here at Northwestern. I can already like see him. We'll have to, if he doesn't say it at the podium, We've got to throw it in a question. Pat Fitz. Hey, Fitz. Brandon Joseph named Cleveland.com's Big Ten preseason defensive player of the year. What does that mean to the program? Make sure we get that question. 
Seven Banks and, and Julian Fleming are doing uh, autograph signing. Uh, I, I don't know if they did it already or if it's coming up, but the next time Brandon Joseph does one, it's going to it's gonna say, come sit with the preseason Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. And he's going to be wearing a shirt that says it, and he's going to sign Brandon Joseph, preseason Big Ten Player of the Year, every time. From here and, then we, and then we can sue him because he's not giving us a cut of, of his thing that he's signing. Now that, you know, hey, they get, they get their cut now, but, like, where's our cut? Um, Nathan, did this surprise you as you were tabulating this? The thing that I, and, and you, I think, tabulated like with, uh, you know, machines and computers. I always tabulated it on a yellow legal pad. And like I would tabulate it at three o'clock in the morning and it would be like a race. It was like the Kentucky Derby sometimes. And it was like, oh, Karloftis, he's in first place. Here comes Brandon Joseph. What was it like tabulating this one? So the way I do it is I get all of the voter names uh, alphabetically. And then that way I can go back and make sure I get everybody and just do their ballot individually. So then, but you're right, because it's like, it's not like somebody is getting late support necessarily because all the votes are already in. It's just a matter of what order you're tabulating them. And I knew that Joseph was in good position early because it just so happened that on, let's see, of the first 13 ballots, he had first place votes on like five or six of them and was second on like four or five more. So there was just weirdly alphabetically, a lot of his support came in early. So I, I had a feeling that he was probably going to be in the top three. It was just a matter of, and the, and the other thing that was throwing me like, again, on those first, I'm looking at the first like 20 ballots that I typed in. Karloftis was only on six of them, two first place votes oh, wow. and four thirds. So that's where I knew that things were, that's, that's maybe what surprised me the most was that the Karloftis vote was just suppressed. He, his ended up coming in late got a bunch of first place votes from the end of the alphabet but i had this early on it felt like things were skewing in joseph's favor or at least away from karloftis and he's a great player he he is a he is a great player it's just it's just surprising i think to see a safety uh win that award but again it's because like there's not a chase young lingering out there not a michael parsons lingering out there like hey this is like a huge famous guy you have last with who won last year Preseason um, was Micah Parsons. Okay. So again, yeah, before last he year, opted out. Right. Oh, that's right. And then, but then last year, we thought the same thing kind of last year too. I mean, the Parsons was a really good player and was probably going to be a first round pick. But I think even last year when we did this, we thought, we thought he could be that, but it was always a speculation of like, well, like is one of these Ohio state defensive ends or somebody else going to like come up and take that away from him. Yeah. But that's, those are still front seven guys. To, I don't, I'm trying to figure out what actually has to happen for Brandon Joseph this year to actually win this award. Like, what does his stat have to stat line have to look at? Because like last bunch year, of picks. but again, like 46 but tackles again. last year, one one tackle for loss, and six interceptions, and two pass breakups. I don't know if that's worthy of preseason Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. But again, I think it's also: Are you looking at it from a predictive standpoint? Or are you looking at it just from a uh, you're trying to recognize who you think the best? If you're thinking just who do you think the best pound for pound defensive football player in the Big Ten is, and don't care whether he wins award at the end of the year, I could see voting for Brandon Joseph. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I, he's he's a really good player. He's got to have picks. I mean, we saw him. I mean, Ohio State experienced that. This guy makes plays on the ball. You know, it's like if he's going to have a Malik Hooker time that kind of year, then you can do it. But it's hard if you're going to be a safety and you don't get picks and you just happen to play you know, great defense and break up a bunch of passes, but a lot of interceptions are random. You only have two picks. He's not going to win. So, um, okay. I I find that very interesting. This is why we do it. I would not have guessed that 
but this gives us a nice little baseline. I mean, again, there's six guys getting first place votes there. Um, that's an interesting race. That's an interesting race. And, and it could be somebody, I mean, honestly, that could be Tyreek Smith might win it. You know, some guy that we, who got zero votes might end up winning it here because I do think it's pretty wide open of who the best defensive player in the league is going to be. Yeah, a total of 18 players received at least one vote and only three from Ohio State. Okay, so let's do this coach thing. We've talked a lot about coach rankings and that kind of thing. I think we've had two separate podcasts on it, so we don't want to spend too much time on this. But I'm really curious to see who wins this. Again, Nathan, what was the phrasing of the question that you asked about Big Ten head coaches? Let me double check that just to make sure. I said, and one last one that is more opinion than prediction, who are the top three head coaches in the Big Ten ranked in order? Okay. So who do you think the top three coaches are? So the adjective is top. Yes. Which I we guess assume means of- best. But yes, but as I, with everything, leaves things open to interpretation. Because it's one of those things, as we always had the running joke at like, you know, Ohio State coach, the Ohio State coaches don't win coach of the year. But I think if you had done preseason things along the way and said, who's the top coach? Urban Meyer and Jim Tressel and that kind of thing would have been very high, would have won some of that voting. But then you do coach of the year and it's based on the season and it's usually an overachiever and it's the Tom Allens of the world who win those awards. But this is who's the best coach? Steven, who do you think won this vote? I think Day won it, but I won't be surprised if Fitzgerald gets it. I am – I've been wrong on everything. I am almost sure Ryan Day is not going to win. I think Pat Fitzgerald won, and I wouldn't be shocked if Ryan Day was not even in the top three. Who won, Nathan? Pat Fitzgerald had 17 first-place votes to 16 for Ryan Day. Oh, close. But Ryan Day appeared on 32 ballots compared to 30 for Pat Fitzgerald. Ryan Day won by two points, 74 to 72. Wow. How about that? Steven nails it. 74-72. Who else got the other first place vote? Kirk Ferentz got the other first place vote. He finished third. Everything really kind of tightens up after that. Ferentz uh, was third, one first place vote, 16 points. Paul Christ was fourth with 15 points and Tom Allen was fifth with 14 points. So the, the third, third place was third through fifth was separated by two points. Did Harbaugh get any votes? Harbaugh was one of six coaches who received zero votes. Did Franklin get any votes? He was sixth with 11 points. Okay. But only three second place votes. Did Frost get any votes? <laughs> no votes for Bielema, Loxley, Harbaugh, Tucker, Frost, or Brom. Where, Shiano got votes. We figured Shiano would get some votes. Oh, yeah, one sure. third place vote for Shiano. So wow, he, that's and Fleck, all. he and Fleck each received one third place vote. So really it's, you know, uh, six coaches received all but two of the votes. And those were just two third place votes to Fleck and Shiano. So I thought there might be an opening here for like, hey, it's Ohio State. It's Urban Meyer's thing. And, you know, I think Pat Fitzgerald, Tom Allen, and Kirk Ferentz are better coaches in terms of what they get out of their programs. I thought there was, that's why I said what I said. I was obviously wrong about that. Steven basically nailed this. Nathan, does this surprise you or is this about how you thought it would go? I mean, I voted Fitzgerald first day, second. Uh, I believe that's what you voted uh, as well. Um, Steven voted the opposite, but I, it, it makes sense to me that it was really close. I, I still think I might have leaned Pat Fitzgerald. I guess here's an interesting question that I, I 
pondered while I was t- while, while I saw this vote unfolding. Who did a better job coaching their team in the Big Ten championship game last year? Fitzgerald, because they tried to do too much. I think probably Pat Fitzgerald, because he kind of had a way he tried to win. They lost Greg Newsome early in that game, first-round mm-hmm. cornerback, on a team that's built around defense. And like Ohio State, it was really tough without Chris Olave. But like without Chris Olave, they didn't have like a ton of answers offensively for what they wanted to do. So I think maybe Pat Fitzgerald. What would you say, Nathan? I think I agree with that. It's, it's you know, and, and even though Ryan Day wins the game, just the fact that a team that I think, you know, all due respect to Greg Newsom and um, Brandon Joseph and the other guys that were on that team, I still think Ohio State had the big talent edge in that game. And for Northwestern to push them the way they did, you know, fairly deep into that second half and have a chance to win that game and, and ruin a season, I, I don't I mean, I, I think I would probably give the edge to to him too. Now, go back a year when the talent edge was even farther and, and Ryan Day just, you know, stepped on his throat. So maybe they're one-to-one there, but it, it, it kind of speaks to how close, I think it, it's one coach who has helped really amass talent and go out and, and execute that talent. And then another coach who does a good job, I think exceeding the, the level of talent that he has on a pretty consistent basis. I don't know 18, if- when they, when they beat Northwestern in 18, that was still urban Meyer. So Ryan Day and yeah, I was talking about the was, 2019 game. So 19 when they played 2019 the game, they won in Evanston and the regular that season. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. When it was just head to head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry. I don't okay. know if that's a fair uh, because I, I think I, I'm saying Fitzgerald did a better coaching job, but that was just their scheme to not give up big plays, and Ryan Day was trying to force the big play instead of just giving the ball to Trey Sermon the entire game. So I don't know if that's a fair way to look at it for who should be number one and who should be number two. And then also I think the urban Meyer thing is worn off at this point. And I think that's part of why you, I, you're right. I think if we'd even done this a year ago, you'd have seen Ryan day show up on less balance because it's still the urban Meyer factor of all this. But I think at this point with what Ryan day is doing in recruiting, how they're developing guys, I, I think it's worn off a little bit that the urban Meyer effect of these are still urban Meyer guys, even if they still, a lot of those people are still here. Yeah, I'm not I am not saying Ryan Day, this is Ryan Day's program, whatever. But like when you're thinking about something like this, who hired Larry Johnson? Like if you think about like the five most important people around Ryan Day, they were all hired by Urban Meyer. Mark Pantone, Mickey Marotti, Larry Johnson, Kevin Wilson, Brian Hartline. Right. I mean, and like who'd Ryan Day hire? Mike Yersich, Matt Barnes, Parker Fleming. Like you can't deny that Ryan Day in, inherited yeah. Al Washington very good. You can't deny Ryan Day inherited so a great thing. I am I, I would say this. I am not I do not take that into account when I think about like who gets credit for Ohio State football being good right now in the 2021 season, even the 2020 season. Who gets credit? It's it's Ryan Day. It is not Urban Meyer at all. It's not. It's Ryan Day's program. He's making this run and he's making it even better. But if I'm talking about like head to head coaches stuff, what Ryan Day inherited yeah. was amazing. And he is still using some of that compared to a, any program that is super overachieving, whether it's Indiana or Northwestern or anybody else like that. So that's why. I would take the Urban Meyer stuff into account if I'm voting on something like this, Pat Fitzgerald, compared to Ryan Day. And I think that's fair. But I, but I, but I can say that 
and maybe it's contradictory, but I also feel like I'm not taking anything away from Ryan Day. And also, this is one of those things and why we don't need to get into this. I mean, there are national lists that are like, oh, all he did was inherit Urban Meyer's stuff. He's in the whatever, way down. And it's like, okay, well, that doesn't make sense either. I just think Pat Fitzgerald is probably one of the five best coaches in college football. And Ryan Day probably is too. But maybe in the nation, they're like three and four. I think when we did the ranking. Go ahead, Nathan. I would say the thing that ends up deciding this vote is that Fitzgerald was left off of four ballots altogether. I, I just, I don't know who, I, okay, maybe if you vote for Ryan Day over Pat Fitzgerald, I understand because they're going to the playoff, all that stuff. But what other two coaches are you voting for over Fitzgerald? Like, can you vote Kirk Ferentz over Fitzgerald? Like, Fitzgerald wins the Big Ten West and Ferentz doesn't. Right. And that, that happened on multiple mm-hmm. ballots here, and I'm I'm not really sure how that happened. And that's... That's really what ended up deciding the vote because Fitzgerald had more first place votes than Day. Yeah, that's a bit ridiculous. I'm a little surprised, Tom Allen. I mean, the Kirk Ferentz stuff. I don't, I don't know what the writers in the West think of Kirk Ferentz. Um, I mean, they're very good. I'm surprised Tom Allen wasn't third. Actually, given the uh, this feels like one of the things we're getting here is people he are basically losing. Was. I mean, it's it's two ballot, points so. deciding third to fifth. Yeah. I mean, that's but he's fifth. But I thought Tom Allen might be the clear third best guy. Like okay. to me, yeah. if I'm thinking about Paul Christ, Tom Allen and Kirk Ferentz, Christ is sort of continuing like the Bielema, the Alvarez Bielema kind of stuff that they got off track a little bit with the Gary Anderson stuff. But he sort of inherited something. Kirk Ferentz has established a certain level of solid programness, but like tomorrow and again this isn't necessarily how you have to vote if you could hire a coach tomorrow who would you hire tom allen or kirk ferentz i'd hire tom allen Mm -hmm. like i don't and and so like tom allen and tom allen kind of conjured this out of nowhere out of the ashes of kevin wilson's departure and like hiring different guys and he's a defensive guy and now he gets michael Penix. he has ty freifogel like i feel like tom allen is like almost solely responsible for what's going on in indiana right now and what's going on in indiana is like the best football they've played in 50 years so, like, the idea that he is bunched up in third, fourth, fifth instead of, like, a clear third surprises me a little bit. Ference ended up taking third out of that logjam mostly on the strength of one first-place vote from a national guy. I mean, that's what kind of ended up breaking that up. So, I thought that was a little bit interesting. Allen was only even a second-place vote on two ballots and then had had some third-place votes. So, you know, I think that's there. There's still maybe just some wait and see with him, but because Fitzgerald and Day are are taking up so many of the first and second place votes, I mean, it was just so consistently Fitzgerald and Day really on most ballots were first or second, or maybe once in a while dropping the third. A lot of times, it's just you're picking that third guy. So you're taking Tom Allen, who is kind of had this resurgence in Indiana, but still waiting for when they beat somebody else when they're good. Or do you take Franklin, who had this down year last year, but traditionally has been, you know, right there in that second tier, as we were just talking about when we were doing the football tiers last year, or someone like Paul Christ, who, I mean, obviously, Doug, you've been you've been um, complimentary of him too, and the, the job that he's done, and how he's the right guy there to do good things, and so I, I, it, it's an interesting question. I, I think I was a little bit surprised too, though, that maybe Allen wouldn't get some some recency bias votes. I did vote Franklin third because he's the only coach in the big 10 currently who has hung with Ohio state in any single way. Now that D'Antonio has gone and that again, what he inherited, 
I mean, what Bill O'Brien did, Bill O'Brien came in after the mess, kind of treaded water for a little bit. Like, But James Franklin, the fact that we view Penn State, yes, traditionally they are that. They do have some built-in advantages. But guess who else had some built-in advantages? Nebraska, and they've fallen off a cliff. And like James Franklin has built what is a very competitive second-tier program. I mean, they're, they're one of the best 10 or 12 or 14 programs in the country. And I think James credit, James Franklin gets a lot of credit for that. We also know a lot of people give James Franklin crap. We've given it, we've criticized him at times on this podcast, but I think overall what he's done is like far exceeds like what Kirk Ferentz has done. And it's not like state college is a metropolis, you know, I mean, like Recruiting to Iowa City and recruiting to State College, I don't know how different that is. So I had Franklin third, but I would have, I think, voted Allen fourth. So, okay. I think we're good. Nathan, it's your, you did all the work here. Anything you want to wrap up with before we get out of here? No, like I said, I think it's just uh, an interesting uh, exercise to, especially that offensive player of the year vote was just really fascinating to me to think that there were 12, exactly 12 players who got any votes at all, and all 12 of them got first place votes. Um, there is some unpredictability to the Big Ten this year. I think it's fun when you go into the year and you want to kind of watch things unfold where there maybe isn't. I know that Ohio State seems like a very you know predictable entity at this point and that their, their dominance seems predictable, um, and maybe that will be. But just from an individual perspective, and really I think the West, I, I think that West vote, and I even voted Wisconsin first, but I had some – uh, I was pretty ambivalent about it. I think Iowa could be the pick there and they're getting picked as low as fifth by somebody. So I, I'm intrigued by what happens out there because this could be a year where Ohio state that the person who wins the West, if it's going to be Wisconsin, Iowa, Northwestern doesn't have to go past Ohio state to, uh, to be a factor there. And uh, that could set them up to have an interesting championship game matchup. Steven, any final thoughts from you? Looking at this voting, it's going to be a pretty interesting year. Uh, it might be boring from a sense of who ends up being the best team in the conference, but I think there's enough, you know, players to be interested in outside of just Ohio State's locker room that make it makes up for it. So the Big Ten is going to release their stupid watch list, I guess, of like 10 players of like, watch them. So, again, we have 18 guys who got a first place vote for either offensive or defensive player of the year. So it'll be quite a race among those 18 to be one of the 10 where you're supposed to watch them. Are, are they good? Are we saying they're a good? No, watch it. Is, there, is this a prelude to something that it's a watch list? No, just watch it. Big 10, watch it. So the Big Ten's going to give you a list and say, watch it. We are going to say these are the preseason offensive and defensive players of the year. So congratulations to Brandon Joseph. Congratulations to Chris Olave. And like I, I, most of the time I'd say something like that and like say it facetiously. It's a real thing. You're the offensive and defensive preseason players of the year in the Big Ten. So congratulations, because it's a real thing, because we're the freaking real deal. So they want it. People will talk about it. And you guys listening will know that it came from your friends at Cleveland.com. We will be heading over there Wednesday night. Stuff will start Thursday morning. We'll be texting stuff Thursday and Friday. A great time to get in on the text subscription. 614-350-3315. There will not be a full podcast on Thursday. We'll drop the headlines in there. That always drops in your feed, kind of five quick hits about what's going on for Ohio State football. No full podcast. Full podcast Friday, full podcast Saturday. So we're still going five days this week. 
We're just taking a break on Thursday and then bringing you that pod on Saturday. So we'll see you in a couple of days. We appreciate you guys, as always, being part of it. For Nathan Baird, for Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk.